Welcome in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have come together to worship today and it is so good to see each and every single one of you. Praise be to God. People of God, let's come together with our call to worship. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations.
from out of his heart, God created all things, and God holds us in his heart. Convinced of this truth, we then come to the Lord confident that we can confess to him. So let us join together in one voice as we pray the prayer written for all. Lord, we are grateful for a moment to reflect on ways we might serve you better. Forgive us, Lord, when we are satisfied with good enough, when you are a God worthy of excellence and our very best. Forgive us when we sing your praises, pray for those in need, and give our offering, but leave with the same grudges, the same hatreds, the same blindnesses that we arrived with. Help us, Lord. We need your transformational power. Only you can change our hearts and soften our wills. Only you, in your grace, can reshape our negligence and reform our selfish ways. Help us to be more like you. Amen. And now we continue for a moment in silent confession. Amen. In the first letter of John, we read this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, in faith we have confessed and the Lord now forgives let us claim and live the righteous lives that the Lord offers us through His grace. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to share then a personal moment of peace with each other, I would invite our children, fifth grade and younger, to join your leaders at the back of the sanctuary for Sunday school and our youth, sixth grade and older, to gather in the youth room. Be peaceful with each other this morning. <laughs>
as we settle for just a moment, I want to take a moment to recognize that one of the longest-lived members of our congregation early, early, early on Friday morning went to join the heavenly congregation. And so we're thinking of Sissy McAndrew and Woody McAndrew and the 103 years of wonderful life he gave to us all. God bless Woody. God bless you, Sissy. You're in our prayers. What a blessing it is to be among such saints. So we are glad to be together and also just to remember that there are so many things happening in the life of the church, ways that help us grow, ways that help us connect, ways that deepen our faith. And I'd just like to mention a couple of those things happening, but I also want to let you know the December, when December comes, so many wonderful offerings are going to come out of this church from, from many of you. And I'd like to just really encourage you to go on to the website, the church's website. And the church's website has all the news, all the time of what's happening. It's very helpful of what's coming up in December. And we'll have more direct information out there for you as well. But just a couple of things to highlight. And that is that next uh, Friday... At 11 o'clock in the chapel, we're going to be having our blue Christmas. This is a time for us to gather together in worship and word and song and also remembering, remembrance, remembering those who have died and those who we no longer are able to share at the, at the table with. But just a time to set that apart and a time to worship together, and that's at 11 o'clock on Friday. We also have a wonderful experience that we're... That is uh, going to be coming on December 3rd, the La Jolla Symphony Chorus Messiah Sing. Now, I haven't been to this one, but I have been to a similar one in which I get to pretend like I know all the words to the Messiah <laughs> and actually sing them. And so I just, whoever I'm standing next to is the part I play. And it's just so wonderful. And so I can't help but think this holiday tradition that invites everybody to come and join in a sing-along experience of this uh, masterpiece will be a lot of fun and also inspiration. And for those of us who, who like to think that we could sing, then it will be also a wonderful experience as well. Also, our alternative market is continuing to go on. I encourage you to think about that and think about the gifts that we can give by giving a gift that gives a gift. And also, uh, you might, uh, in your bulletin, I believe you each have uh, received this red insert. And this is a, for a poinsettia dedication form. And if you would like to remember somebody that you love in honor of or in memory of, uh, to purchase a poinsettia, just fill out that form and get it to us, or you can go online. And then, by magic, next week, this, this will be transformed into this incredible holy space with these beautiful poinsettias and all of these other things. And it isn't by magic, it's by the hard work of a lot of people. So anyway, just to let you know that. But it is a wonderful thing to belong to a community that sees the cycle of Christian life in the Christmas and then in the, in the ordinary days and then in, in the Easter and Pentecost and we continuously remember the story of Jesus. And so in the spirit of the one who gave it all, let's present our tithes and our gifts and our offerings.
seated. We believe that God is for us and God is with us. Therefore, we can speak with and listen to God. Let us join together in prayer.
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty, we raise our very souls to you in these moments of prayer. Though we are not worthy of your attention, still we know that you do not hide your face from us, for we are your children and you are our God. Lord, sometimes we find it hard to speak with you. Some of us are distracted by the necessary things of this life, such as our daily work, our responsibilities for others, or simply the challenge of juggling so much to do with so little time for any of it. Some of us are burdened by mistakes of the past, and even though we know your forgiveness, still we deal with the consequence of our failure. And some of us today are not completely sure that you are there or that you listen. But Lord, we have some faith, and so we take this moment now to thank you for this life and to ask you to be with us in it. Lord, thank you for this brief season now ending when we have been reminded to say thank you. Thank you for family gatherings that went well, for food that filled our bellies and laughter that filled our hearts. Thank you for memories of thanksgivings long past and for hopes of thanksgivings that may yet come. Thank you for what we have and for the hope that what we do not have but so desperately crave and even need will someday be ours as well. Lord, thank you for the season that is now upon us. As always, we're not really ready, but here it is. As the activity level ratchets up and the stress level starts to soar, calm us, energize us, and focus us on the reason for it all, that you became flesh and lived among us, and that you live among us still. Help us to make all the shopping and baking and greeting and gathering into one great celebration of praise of Christ and love for each other. And please, Lord, please, give us the wisdom to reserve that innermost parts of ourselves for you so that we do not miss the moments when you reach out to touch us in special ways, to remind us of who you are and of who we are meant to be. Lord, a world swirls around us that is often difficult to understand, much less manage. Hear our thanks for hostages released, for ceasefires begun, for food and water and medicine delivered. Hear our hopes for peace over and above our weary resignation to war. Recognize our desire to love others as you love them, as well as our plea for your courage in us to fight for your justice. Fill us all with truth, with compassion, with moral clarity that is moderated by deep humility. And then come, come to save the world that you love so much. Lord, we could say more, but you've already given us the right words in what Jesus taught. So hear us now as we pray together 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
You're invited to open your pew Bibles to page 54 of the New Testament for a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Yos, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Now, turning to page 178 of the New Testament, we have a reading from the Acts of the Apostle, chapter 16, beginning with verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Somathrice, and from that day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Russian and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women 
who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Three weeks ago, on a typically busy Wednesday morning, I received this text from my son. Mom, I'm really sick. I need medication and something to drink. I was going to go out and try to get something, but my fever hit hard again. I need something for my throat. It hurts to swallow. I'm so thirsty. Is there a way you can help me? I want to ask you, how fast do you think I peeled out of this parking lot? <laughs> there are still marks out there <laughs> in the driveway. I can guarantee you without hesitation that there is no responsibility that I had, no barrier that was put before me that could have kept me from taking care of my son, my grown son, in that moment. Who was calling made all the difference in my sense of urgency and my feeling of protectiveness and my determination to provide for his needs. So, yes, I showed up in what I'm sure would have been a Formula One racing record with medications and Gatorade and soup and Jello and an Oreo milkshake and his favorite McNuggets. <laughs> and he is 38 years old. Shut up, Jack. <laughs> Who is calling makes all the difference. For the last several months, we've walked through the elements of a worship service. And these elements were summed up by Jack last week, and I'd just like to briefly go remind you of what those were. They were our call to worship and prayer, our sacraments, our scripture reading, offering, our preaching, and finally our benediction. They're all part of this nourishment that we crave as believers, what we come for every single week. And we gather to praise and worship God, and it is at the heart of what we do together. But Jesus and our text today are clear that our worship is also preparation for what comes next. After we gather, after we leave this place, after we've gathered for worship and we leave this place and we go and scatter into our own neighborhoods, we go out into our own communities, to our own families, to our jobs, to our schools, what's next? What do we do now that we know Jesus has risen? 
What do we do now that we have been forgiven and loved and slathered with grace? What do we do now that we have committed to following him for life? Surely something significant, certainly something transformational, something holy, something pure and, and good and giving. What do we do now that we know Jesus is risen? I think those questions will be answered and with what urgency they will be answered. They're rooted and incubated in our relationship with the one who called us. The two texts this morning speak directly to those of us concerned with Jesus who called us. And although they're from different places, these two texts, and different players and different circumstances, they are linked together by the voice of the same caller and by the reality in both of these situations that what happens next hinges on the willingness of those called to sacrificially trust and obey the caller. In our first text, Jesus calls the 12 and they respond and follow him. And now it's time for them to take up their crosses and go out in their own and in his name and you can bet that they are shaking in their sandals. Can you imagine? They've watched what he's been doing. They've seen it and they've always been able to step just one step behind. And now Jesus says, go out and do what I've been doing. I'd be scared to death. Now it's time for them to take up their cross. But Jesus doesn't soft sell the job. He doesn't say, oh no, you don't have to go to any committee meetings. You don't have to do much. He doesn't soft sell the job that he wants them to do, but in words, honestly, that echo the God of Abraham warning the wandering Hebrews, do not collect more than a day's worth of manna You've got to learn to trust and obey the Lord. In that same kind of voice, we hear Jesus letting them know, you are going to have to trust God that others will provide for you. And you're going to have to obey my instructions and travel light, by the way. And don't pick and choose the very best place to stay and the place with the biggest meals and the spa. I want you to take the first invitation that you get and stay in that place. And then this very, very important a summary of this that Jesus gives. And do your best and leave the rest for God. The outcome is not your success, it's not your failure, and it's not your responsibility. Let me say that again. Jesus has told them what they needed to do. And if they obey what he has told them to do, it is not their, it is no longer their success, their failure, or their responsibility with how the people receive it. But it is their job to provide it. So these instructions certainly act as a, a reminder to us in the church today in our church what is it saying to us 
It's saying, be careful of the baggage that you take into the community. Travel light, he says, and focus on people rather than things. And remember, we are not messiahs. We are messengers. Jesus has just experienced a very severe rejection by the people of his own village. And this is placed with intention by Mark in just this place. It has been a humiliating denial of the rabbinic authority of Jesus, let alone the lordship of Jesus, by the people of his own village. And maybe the the reason for Mark's inclusion of Jesus' most embarrassing and humiliating experience at Nazareth at this particular point in the gospel is to prepare the 12 for what will most likely be a mixed reception to them by those that they come and share the word with. I also think that it's a reminder, it's a powerful reminder, that Jesus is not some general sitting in a high ivory tower and sending his troops out to do something he's never done. But Jesus is talking from experience. He's talking from a person who has walked the road of sharing the gospel. He knows what lies ahead. He walks with them. He knows what the demands of the gospel, what the expectations are. So the story of Jesus' own reaction, re- rejection at Nazareth sets up this whole mission that he's talking about. And the text describes those who rejected Jesus as his own people. And this talks more about, rather it being the entire community, it's his own people, the people he grew up with, the people he looked at as as other parents and uncles and aunts, the people who he went to school with and the people he, he played with out in the play yard. These are his own people. And it's also an important reminder for us today because, you see, we are now his own people. And if his own people will not affirm him as Lord and cannot or will not live as he taught and speak as he spoke, then his own people are rejecting him once again, just like our ancient kin. So then Jesus goes on and he talks about, he shares the harsh lesson of what it means to share the gospel, to be rejected, and to walk away from the person that rejects you. Yes, he names it straight out. This is a really tough lesson, especially for us in the 21st century in North America. We don't want to be rejected. It is our greatest fear realized that what we say is going to be rejected by people, but it's part of our story, and Jesus demonstrates this, because we follow one who is ultimately rejected, and we follow one who loved and forgave and triumphed over that rejection, and so we are called into a fearlessness in the face of rejection. But these texts insist that in spite of the potential for rejection or at least anxiety or embarrassment, telling the story with words is part of the claim that Christ lays on us. It's not enough for us just 
to act, we have to share also. That's part of our Christian story. Telling the story with words is part of that claim. Living the faith and sharing the, the faith are born from the very same parents. Living and sharing are born from, from trust and obedience. So Paul understands trust and obedience lessons extremely well as we come to that second text. This Paul began his, his remarkable conversion to follow Jesus. And instantly what happened when he was converted was he was rejected by fellow Christians. They didn't trust him. They didn't trust what he had to say. They were suspicious of him and they rejected him. And then later after he overcame that rejection, he was rejected by his own beloved Jewish community and he was rejected by the Roman Empire. And finally he fought and challenged churches that rejected him, the churches that he had founded. In today's second text, we find Paul's plans falling apart. All the plans he had for his mission trip, well laid out itinerary. And they're falling apart and he's left floundering. And he experiences in that moment a vision of a man calling to him from Macedonia. Come over, come over and help. Now the, the difference here is you see, Paul recognized the voice of the one who called him. It wasn't particularly the man in the vision. We never hear of that character again. But that voice, you can't mistake it. It's the voice of the master. And so the text says, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. And this is where many Christians start getting a queasy stomach. Are you talking about mission, which we're all on board for 100%. We're behind it and we have no problem with it. Or are you talking about evangelism, which kind of gives us hives? <laughs> and while we know that some congregations make a sharp distinction between those two, mission and evangelism, according to scripture, that would be a false either or. It's very clear in both these texts that mission and sharing the good news are unitive that they're unitary, they are encompassing both healing and helping the mission and the proclamation, the telling, the evangelism. And I wonder what might it look like if we understood that one, the telling is foundational to the other, the doing, and the doing is foundational to the other, the telling, and one cannot hold up without the other. In simpler terms, when we walk the talk, when our sharing is equal parts doing, when we are the good news, what might happen? It might look like Father Maximilian Maria Kolbe, who was a Polish Catholic priest and conventual friar, Franciscan friar, who volunteered in World War II to die in place of a man named Francis Gauznicic in the German death camp of Auschwitz. Maybe that's what it looks like. Or, or maybe it looks like our youth group who studies the Bible on Sunday mornings and something happens. Something penetrates. Something comes alive and bursts open 
and they are compelled to begin to serve meals to those who have nothing at the Ladle Fellowship downtown. Maybe that's what it looks like. It may look like a dawning understanding that we are indeed our brothers and sisters keepers emotionally and spiritually and physically that we cannot be here and not do. And whether it's something monumental or something mundane, sharing your faith and living your faith are both part of the natural maturing and demands of living as a Christian. But God talk outside the walls of the church makes many Christians anxious. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to offend. And we are not sure we really know the right words. Many Christians, honestly, would rather talk about anything else. Sex, their salary, politics, anything but what they believe about God. I've known many Christian couples, Christian couples who are married to each other, who are still feeling very awkward and shy about talking to each other about their faith or praying together. So this is pretty widespread, especially among us in the uh, mainline Christians. And it may be justifiably, cons- uh, we may be justifiably concerned because we witness coercive or emotionally manipulative methods of proclaiming the good news. We've witnessed it on TV. We've witnessed it in, in certain places. And, and maybe we've been left scarred by some kind of religious malpractice. But I have a question for you. I'm wondering, do we have to share our faith in a way that feels uncomfortable and ill-fitting and tiresome? I mean, is that what we think of the message itself? When we think about what message we have to share, the message that we have, this beautiful, incredible, hopeful message that we have, Is not ours a message of joy and liberation? A message, a a proclamation of grace and forgiveness? Is is our message a testimony of God's goodwill towards us and a promise of love and care and justice for all? My goodness, who would not want to hear that kind of message? Honestly, is there even a person who could not receive such a, a wonderful message of hope whose lives would not be so lifted up, so encouraged. When did this message, this wonderful message, become embarrassing or intrusive? I think one answer is when we began thinking of our sharing as some sort of marketing tool for our church or for Christianity itself. I personally think it's very uncomfortable to be operating in any relationship with a hidden agenda, no matter how well-meaning that agenda is. Our hidden agenda, hanging around on the edges, in the shadows, waiting, creating a stress and a pressure between you and another person that you, you, they can't quite put their finger on what it is, and maybe we can't either waiting for that moment. It's uncomfortable to be in a relationship in order to do something to someone 
or, or want something from them. It works so much more naturally when we simply care about someone. And it's so much easier when we love someone rather than target them. Now, most of us have encountered someone who seems to insert religious phrases or words into conversations that make us feel squiggy, creepy. We know those people are over-spiritualized every movement of the day, kind of to hit you over the head with the, with the understanding that they're a Christian, maybe unless you di- just in case you didn't get the point or practice some passive-aggressive evangelism, checking off the box on the to-do list of Christian daily living. Isn't that, that is so ill-fitting. It's so judgmental, it's so condescending. And I can guarantee you, we don't like it. And nobody wants to be offered up something like that, let alone those who are seeking a deep relationship. So sometimes... Also, we find that our lives perhaps have drifted far away from the center that is Jesus Christ. But we are afraid and vulnerable to admit that. And so we continue to play the part of super-Christian. But we can't share. We can't share because to share means that we become liars or worse yet, hypocrites. Living a divided life doesn't leave us with enough bandwidth to live either life well. But we don't have to do any of that. We don't have to do any of what you just heard in order to share this incredible message. Because there are plenty of natural places of conversation and life experiences when we are with people, when we are talking or sharing about how our faith has shaped us, how our faith has comforted us, how our faith has healed us. Have you ever had a friend say, I just don't know how you do it. I just don't know how you got through it. I just don't know how you make this work. And is that not the moment when you say, I will tell you how this happens for me because it's natural and it comes up in the normal course of our relationship with other people. All we have to share is our story. That's it. All we have to share is our experience of life in Christ and getting by. And as a Christian, your faith is an authentic part of that story and will come into that place with ease. It won't feel ill-fitting. It won't feel uncomfortable. You see, whenever we love our enemy, we exhibit something of the perfect love of God, whose will is to bring all human beings together as children of one holy parentage. Whenever we forgive instead of getting angry at one another, And when we bless instead of curse, when we tend one another's wounds instead of rubbing salt in them, when we hearten instead of discourage, when we give hope instead of driving one another into despair, when we hug instead of harass, when we welcome instead of cold-shouldering, when we thank instead of criticizing, when we praise instead of maligning, whenever we opt for and not against 
one another. We make God's unconditional love visible. It becomes something that we can actually see. And we are proclaiming the presence of the kingdom of God. And we are sharing and we are doing and we are being the good news of Jesus Christ. It helps now and then, I think, to go back to the beginning. Who called the disciples? Who called Paul? Who called you and me? Who is this caller of souls? What motivates his call? Writer and theologian Henri Nguyen says, everything we know about Jesus indicates that he was concerned with only one thing, and that was the will of the Father. Nothing in the Gospels, nothing is as impressive as Jesus' single-minded obedience to his Father. From his first recorded words in the temple, did you not know that I must be busy with my Father? To his last words on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus' only concern was to do the will of the Father. He says the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, John 5. Jesus is the obedient one, and his obedience is born out of this unflinching trust in God. And it's very critical for you to understand that this is not the obedience of a slave to a master. It's not the obedience, an achieved behavior that comes out of, out of threat of punishment. This is a relationship between God and between Christ, between Jesus. Jesus' obedience means a total fearless listening to his loving Father. Between the Father and the Son, there is only love. Perhaps it is love that calls us. Our trust and our obedience is the outcome of our love for the one who called us. Because the one who called us, first now that we have been forgiven and loved and slathered with grace, what do we do now that we have committed to following him for life? Trust and obey, love and serve, and be the light. Surely something significant, something transformative, something holy, something pure and something giving, surely all of that. Amen. Stand with me as you are able, and let us affirm our faith together in words taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you So what will you do now that you know? Now that you know that Christ is risen, something significant, something wonderful, something true and something giving. Follow Jesus for life. Trust and obey, love and serve, and be a light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go out and be the church. Amen. Thank you.